Hi, friends, and welcome to Christ Church Online. We are in between series of our Inner Workings of Worship theme and using this time to emphasize and celebrate our youth ministries. We were just led in worship and heard testimonies by some of our students this past Sunday and heard from our high school pastor in the sermon. If you would like to learn more about the youth ministries here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, we encourage you to check out our ministries page on our website. There you can get a glimpse of our various programs for youth as well as contact our youth pastors. That address is www.ccgf.org students. Now here is the Reverend Doug Rary and one of our students giving the message, A History of Youth Culture. Thanks for listening. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I thank you so much for this place. God, I thank you for a place that invests in young people like we do, Lord. And I thank you for those young people. I thank you for my friends. God, I thank you for those that have led us in worship this morning, that have shared some stories, that have, those that have yet to do so. God, I, I also thank you for those that we just couldn't fit on this stage because there's so many. I thank you for those that are serving by ushering and talking to people out in the greeting area. God, this morning we just invite your Holy Spirit to come into this place. Would you open our hearts and our minds to your word, and would it be your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, gang. My name is Doug, and I get to work with high school students. I love what I do. I absolutely do. I would rather spend time with high school students than any one of you, I'll be honest. And, uh, and it's, it, there's so many times that people come up and say, man, it's so challenging. I can't believe it. I said, no, no, working with adults, that would be difficult. Working with teenagers is just wonderful for me. That's how God has built me. That's how God has shaped me. And I'll tell you that there's no way that I would be standing on this platform this morning if it wasn't for my mother. My mother is an amazing woman. She has an excellent relationship with Jesus Christ. She has a a great personal discipline of spending uh, most of her mornings with the Lord. She has entire chapters, if some books of the Bible, completely memorized. Her integrity and her servant heart are standards that I've held for myself as an adult. But I would like to claim just a little bit of credit for my mom's relationship with Jesus. Because I can't tell you how often she's told me that she found herself on her knees crying out to God (laughs) when I was a teenager because of all the trouble that I gave her. I was a bad kid. I was a rough teenager. There are some people in this room that knew me as kids and they could come up here and give a testimony right now, I'm sure. But my mom, uh, she did a lot of things right. And I can remember that uh, every morning before school, she would get up early, she would cook breakfast, whether it was a big old thing or just like a, a Jimmy Dean sausage patty, and she would sit down at the counter and try to steal 15 minutes of time to have a conversation with me. My junior and senior year, she was usually met with just kind of grunts in return. The best thing my mom ever did, though, was that she enabled all roads to lead to church. All roads led to youth group. If there was something that cost money, it was up to me to earn the money to pay for it, unless it was with the youth group, then it was free. If, uh, yeah, if, if I was punished, or if I was uh, in trouble, I was punished. And let me tell you, uh, I was grounded a lot, okay? And I was grounded from everything except for youth group. If I wanted to do something uh, in the church 
if I wanted to do something in the youth program, no matter how inconvenient it would be for her, no matter how much driving time was involved, no matter how much it cut into her schedule, the answer was always yes. Here's the truth. Youth ministry saved my life. Youth ministry saved my life. But it wasn't just that I had a youth group to go to. It was that I had a youth pastor that I get emotional thinking about this morning who partnered with my mom and my stepfather to do their best (laughs) to raise a young man in the ways of the Lord. I had adult leaders, like some of whom you saw up on the stage this morning, that invested in my life, that held me accountable. One of them was so important to me that he was the best man at my wedding. Did you know the statistics say that 85% of all who come to Christ do so before the age of 18? And this morning, I want to do a little mass confession. So if you grew up Catholic, we're going to have mass and confession at the same time. You'll feel right at home. <laughs> How many of you took your first steps with Christ before the age of 18? Would you raise your hand? That's a lot of people. And praise God for all the, the people that invested in you when you were young. Pro- Proverbs 22 says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Gang, I just got to be honest with you. I have an incredible burden on my heart for teenagers. I can't shake it. I can't get rid of it. I tried. (laughs) There was a time where I took three months off from student ministry and I had to get right back in the saddle. I can remember middle school and high school uh, being the most difficult, most battle-ensued times of my life. And when I think of what I went through as a teen, and I multiply that by what these teenagers have to go through today and the battles that they face in their culture, I've got to do something about it. I've got to move. I've got to get involved. When I think of what my mother and what my youth pastor and what my small group leaders did for me when I was a teen, I want to do the very best I can to try to do the same for some of our teenagers today. But let's be honest. Things have changed a lot since you or since I was in high school. No matter how old you are, no matter how young I am, things have changed a whole heck of a lot in our world and in our culture. You see, teenagers have a culture all to their own that we actually know very little about. Did you know 70 plus years ago, teenagers didn't exist? There was no such classification of a human being. You were a child and then you were an adult. In 1904, a man uh, by G- name of G. Stanley Hall wrote a textbook called Adolescence. And he described an awkward period of time that a child goes through after puberty where they experience adult emotions for the first time and have adult experiences for the first time. And so it's very awkward for them to get to be adjusted. What's interesting about that, though, is he described this period of time as lasting only about six months. (laughs) The teenager was born in December 1944. Life magazine published an article called Teen-Age, Teenage Girls. They live in a wonderful world of their own. And thus, the teenager was invented. And that subtitle, A World of Their Own, this would seem to become the mission statement for teen culture for each generation to come. In the 1950s, we begin to see teen culture split 
from adult culture. You could pick it up in some of the language that you would hear. They would say things like, are you hip or are you square? It was a decade full of jocks and greasers and motorheads and beats and coffeehouse poets. And teens found refuge in the local soda counter as hangouts. And then in the 1960s, which I believe is one of the most significant decades in the history of our country, and I know it's the most significant decade in the history of teen culture, teen culture completely split from the norm. In fact, they were referred to in the media as the countercultural movement. And times were a-changing with a TV in every household, a Cold War that everyone feared, three significant assassinations, the civil rights movement, a war that divided America, and even things like the British invasion, which incidentally brought us John Guest to our country, who later got involved in youth ministry with guitar in hand, right? Then we have the 1970s, where the proverbial sex, drugs, and rock and roll really fueled the cultural divide. And parents didn't, and adults didn't even really know what teens were up to because hangouts moved from soda counters to nightclubs. Then in the 1980s, we have a decade of money. Teen hangouts went from nightclubs to shopping malls. And the world began to spoon-feed teens their own culture, cultural identity with things like MTV teen pop movies and musicians, and commercials saying things like, you are the Pepsi generation. And what was so significant about this decade was that the idea of teens having their own culture went from being countercultural to just normal. Then in the 1990s, the internet changed everything. It allowed communication between teenagers to become faster and more frequent. I could still remember myself on that AOL instant messenger talking to my friends. Information was at their fingertips. Teens could dive deeper into whatever they might be interested in. And the quarterback and the cheer captain were no longer king and queen. right? The comic book nerd, the outdoor adventurist, The musical enthusiasts, they all had a place to belong. They all had a place that they could call home. Then we have the 2000s, which which, uh, ushered in the digital age. Music, movies, books can all be downloaded and shared. And social media is invented with things like Facebook and Twitter, and it begins to drive the cultural and, and subcultural divide even further down and wider apart. And now we're in the 2010s. I can't believe I'm talking about it like it's a a full decade already. We're in the era of the smartphone. Anything your heart can desire, whether it's healthy for you or destructive for you, is pumped into a teenager's phone 24 hours a day. All they have to do is turn it on. And having social media at their fingertips has caused teens to either relearn or reinvent and how to connect in relationships to one another. Simply connecting with another human being has become difficult. Gang, teens have their own culture. And just as we send missionaries into other cultures like the Dominican Republic or like Uganda, we need to send missionaries into teen culture. In a nutshell, that's what I do. That's what Pastor Robbie does is we train missionaries, whether they be adults 
or other teenagers themselves to go into teen culture and share the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we do this, and this has been mentioned a couple times already this morning, is through our after-school Bible clubs. We train teen leaders within our youth group, and we partner with public schools to have teens create these outreach outposts within their schools, these Bible studies that meet on campus right after school, where teenagers can share with their peers right there in the front line the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get to go to these clubs. I don't lead them. But as I'm invited to come, and as I walk down the hallways, as I smell the lockers, and they can be smelly, and as I hear the chit-chat of teenagers with one another, I have to tell you, my heart breaks just a little bit. Because I hear teens just trying to survive in their world. I hear teens just trying to survive in their culture. And I'm filled with compassion because I see teenagers with broken hearts, with broken minds, and with broken dreams, and with a great deal of fear about the future. I see teenagers desperately trying to survive today, yet just another day, just God, let me survive one more day in this high school, in this middle school, in the battles of my world. I see teens desperately trying to discover their purpose, to figure out where they belong. And when I walk through the schools and I feel this sense of compassion, I'm sure it's just a small piece of compassion compared to what Jesus felt, but I'm reminded of how Jesus felt in Matthew chapter 9. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. I'm kicking myself for not saying this in the other services, but all these clubs that we're starting, we're starting to kind of max out. We don't have enough workers in the fields to continue to start clubs in all the 13 different school districts that we serve. Gang, this generation needs our help. The harvest is great, but the workers are few, and the battles these teens face are so very many. I just want to share with you just a couple of battles here this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, we put a notes page in your worship folder with some blanks you can fill out if you'd like to. But the first battle is this, and that is the battle of busyness. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you more to do. No, he didn't say that, but I bet you and I think that he did based on a lot of our to-do lists, right? You know, it's, it's no secret that our culture is fueled by Red Bull and Starbucks, and we know that teens are the busiest people on the planet. And throughout the years of working with teenagers, you know, I've heard the amount of stress coming from teens as they told stories about busyness, but I had no idea how bad it truly was until this past fall. Our youth ministry has been hearing and and helping with an overwhelming amount of stories of stress and panic attacks and anxiety and depression. Students exchange advice from their therapist with, uh, with one another in casual conversation because it's no longer taboo. Students share with me that they've been on anxiety medication for years. Now, there's nothing wrong with either of those things. It's good to get help. But what surprises me is how much help our teens need at this young age. In this area, you know, I've had parents call me 
I've had parents call me with teens in the background in tears because they're full of anxiety because we're about to leave for a weekend retreat. And they're terrified that when they return, they're not going to have enough time to get all of their schoolwork done. So parents are, are just looking for some words from me so that they could say to them, you're, you're going. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, research says that the number one dilemma that teens are struggling with today isn't drugs, wild parties, or sex. It's stress, anxiety, and depression. That same research says that there are about six stressors that teenagers have reported. But the number one stressor, right, 64% of teens say the number one stressor in their life is time management, that they have too much to do. The research goes on about depression. Did you know that almost every single teenager will suffer from symptoms of depression during high school? Did you know that at any given moment, one out of every teen guys is struggling with depression? Did you know that at any given moment, one out of every five teen girls is struggling with depression? And that 50% of teen girls mimic 60% of adult women in saying that they feel too much pressure to accomplish more than they can handle. But those are just the statistics. I get to hear the stories. When I sit down with a teenager at Starbucks over a cup of coffee or at Wendy's over French fries, they share with me anxiety. They say things like, how can I fit in cross-country training and homework and family chores and SAT prep and a part-time job and youth group and visiting grandma, a piano recital, and maybe, just maybe, connecting with a friend all in one weekend? Now, in no way do I believe Teenagers should be sitting around on the couch with nothing to do but play video games and taking a nap. My father, my stepfather would march right in here and have some words for me if I were to share that with you. But keeping busy is healthy for teenagers unless you're too busy to be healthy. This is an issue of priorities. It's an issue of priorities for them, and this is an issue of priorities for us because our culture is killing our kids. It's affecting our kids' physical health, It's affecting our kids' emotional health, and it's affecting our kids' spiritual health. They're becoming too busy for healthy relationships, too busy for family, too busy to make God a priority in their life. But you don't have to take my word for it. I've invited Miriam Klutenberg to come forward and share a few words of her own with you. And as she makes her way to the stage, can I just share with you that the New York Times... I finally said it right. The New York Times published an article all about this. And and I put a link of it uh, in your worship folders. You can read more about this at home. Miriam? Hi, everyone. My name is Miriam Kleinberg. As you can see on this board with my lovely picture. Um, I have been a part of this awesome youth group for about six years. To start off my testimony, I would like to just clarify that in no way am I an expert at balancing everyday busyness and youth group. This week, school started, and let's just say God really, really challenged me with trying to find time for both him and life. I moved to Pittsburgh from Michigan in about 2010, and ever since then, I've been a part of this youth group. I came in as a homeschooler, and I barely knew anyone at the time. I was so nervous to come for the first time to youth group, and that was the same time when I started to experience very bad anxiety. I was always concerned about what people thought of me, if I was saying the right or wrong thing, or making a scene. It was also my first time in a public school, and I could barely even attend class that year. 
But the one place where my anxiety completely disappeared was at youth group. I know it sounds cliche, but it's 100% true. I felt judged by no one and supported by everyone. In our small groups every week, we would do prayer requests, and I always had people praying for my anxiety to get better. And by the time school started, by the, by the time high school started, through counseling, prayer, and the support of Doug and all of the students in our youth group, my anxiety had mostly gone away. But then came another problem, typical for high school students, busyness and the one and only sleep deprivation. I, always, I was always so tired from watching too much Netflix and not doing enough homework that youth groups started to become a chore. But I would still go, and also with the help of my parents, strongly encouraging it, I would always leave happy that I had gone, and it soon became like a second home. Yet again, I felt so comfortable there, like I could be myself, and like every single time that I went, I had reaffirmed my faith. High school is extremely hard in terms of keeping your faith and finding God in every single little situation. But youth group would keep reminding me why I believed in God, how much he loved me, and how much he cares for everyone. It has answered so many questions that I have about God, my future, and my faith. I have found that in high school, there is everyday pressure that can sometimes be too overbearing. There is pressure from your teachers, your parents, your coaches, and your friends to be constantly put together and perfect. But I know I'm speaking for everyone that is a part of this youth group, that all of that pressure goes away the minute you walk into a room full of people who are just lovely and who want to give you a big hug and know how you're actually doing. You can come as you are, you can come a mess, you can come sleep-deprived, and you can come stressed. But everyone will still love you the same, and God will love you the same. I cannot explain how much I would love it if you came to our youth group, and how much our youth group wants you to come. Thank you, and I really hope to see you there. You know, that's why our youth ministry creates places like youth group. You know, on Sunday nights, if you're in high school, or on Wednesday nights, if you're in middle school, it's a place for a team to be a team, to rest their minds, to refresh their relationships, to renew their love for Jesus, and to stop working on their resume for just a couple of hours. The second battle is this, the battle for family. Did you know that God hardwired us for relationships? When God designed us, when God put us together, he put something deep down within us, a longing to to connect with other people. Last week with my wife, I was watching one of my favorite shows, uh, uh, Running Wild with Bear Grylls. And uh, Bear Grylls is a survival expert who happens to be a Christian, by the way. And, uh, and he, he has this show where he takes celebrities uh, into wild environments and he teaches them how to survive. And, and most every episode, he, he brings up faith with each one of these celebrities. And he happened to have this uh, particular young lady and he took, them, took her to Africa. And they came across these cave paintings. Uh, I screenshotted it and threw it up on the screen. And there was these drawings, these cave paintings, thousands of years old, of connections, of relationships, of family. And Bear, uh, who knows the Lord, said something so profound. He said, so uh, much may have changed in our world, but what we still hold as important to us is relationships. Relationships are one of the most important things to us. If you don't believe me, think of the greatest pain that you've ever felt in your life. And I guarantee you it had to do with a broken relationship or maybe someone stabbing you in the back or maybe the loss of a loved one. 
Think of the greatest joy that you've ever felt in your life. And I guarantee you it has to do with a new relationship. Maybe your wedding day or maybe your child being born or maybe a new friend that has come into your life. Relationships are the most important thing to us, yet there is no place in our culture to learn how to do relationships well. There's no relationship 101 class in high school or college. But God has designed two places to learn about relationships, the family and the church, God's family. God designed family to teach us things like What do we do with feelings? How to handle conflict? How to handle loss? How to build healthy relationships with others? How to choose wise friendships? You know, it was many, many years ago in a different youth group that we had a young lady start coming, and she was coming every week, and and this young lady just had a horrible family life, and a very broken family, and her family didn't come to church. She started coming to youth group because a friend had brought her. And she was coming every week, and she had really become part of the family. But sooner or later, she started making some friends outside of the church with the wrong crowd. These friends were really into drugs. And we started to see her a little bit less and a little bit less. So a friend of hers and and myself, we, we grabbed some pizza with her and sat down, and we started to talk to her about some of her choices. And I could vividly remember what she said to me in return. She said, Doug, I'm having too much fun right now. I think I'm going to give this whole church thing a shot when I get older. Well, she's older now. She's a young adult. And it was three months ago that I learned about her on the news. She has been arrested and charged with accessory to murder. These same friends, the same people, hatched a scheme to rob a local drug dealer. And they decided to use her as a pretty face to get into the apartment building where he lived. And two people ended up dead. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Did you know that 40% of children growing up in America are being raised uh, without their fathers? As you know, that statistics say that children from broken families have lower grades and their peers are less pleasant or rate them as less pleasant to be around. Did you know that children from a broken family have a higher tendency to be lonely, unhappy, anxious, and insecure? Did you know that young people today, and I know because I hear it, that young people today are really given up on the idea of marriage? That our culture is redefining marriage and family and abandoning God's design? Young people are saying, why should I even get married? I'm not seeing it work in the world around me. You know, we live in a culture that seems to be attempting to redefine everything that God has ordained. And this is especially seen in the issues of family and marriage. You know, the first system, the first organization that God designed was God's design for family, and he built everything else around it. And the enemy, the world, is trying to destroy that, and they're succeeding. But there's hope. There's the church. 
There's God's family. That's one of the reasons why youth ministry saved my life. I came from a broken home. Many of you might know my story, but I can still remember my eighth grade small group. I could still remember a young man named Craig gathering a bunch of us guys together at someone's house, and we were like studying the book of Job and Philippians. But the point is, for the first time in my life, I do remember this. I felt like I had a place to belong. I know now that I'm older that I had a place to to learn how to develop healthy relationships, a place to to grow in character. And that's one of the reasons why connecting teenagers into small groups in our youth ministry is so very important. Every teenager that walks in the doors of our youth ministry has an opportunity to connect in a small group, a second family. They have an opportunity to connect with a caring leader and a consistent group of Christian peers, a place where they can belong amongst their peers as they grow to become adults. The third and last battle I want to share with you this morning is the battle for purity. And you know, i got to say that our culture has really been surprising me lately. Right? We've been really kind of serious about things like pure air and pure water and pure food. We don't want preservatives in our food, so we have grocery stores like, like Whole Foods. It'll cost you a million dollars, but you can eat healthy. Right? <laughs> but our culture does not seem to be very concerned about pure minds. And if you don't believe me, just watch anything on TV or on Netflix or on the Internet. I can remember my youth pastor was so serious about us not watching the television show Friends or listening to the rapper Eminem. But as, I, it, it, as, as right as I think he was now, as I compare that to what I see on Netflix today, I'm amazed. Forgive me for saying this, but you know, when I was in high school, if I wanted to get my hands on pornography or one of my friends, we had to news, know someone that was 18 that was willing to go across town to some shady place on the other side of the tracks and face the embarrassment of walking into an adult store. When I was in high school, if I wanted to see an R-rated movie, I had to sneak in the back door, and I did, and I had to face getting caught. When I was in high school, if I wanted a cassette tape or or a CD that might have been a little bit inappropriate, there was this big sticker on it, the parental advisory label that would not allow people to sell it to me. You know, when I was in high school, everybody, the family, we all watched TV together in the living room. And if I happened to have control of the TV that night, I knew that my mom was just around the corner in the kitchen cooking dinner, listening to everything that I was watching. But today, if you want to get your hands on any of those kind of things, all you need is a cell phone. Everything is piped into your house 24 hours a day, whether you want it or not. Now, before all the parents rush out of the room and take their phones away from their teenagers, and before all the teenagers rush up onto the stage with pitchforks, can I just say that we need to remember that someday, very soon, they're going to be adults and they need to learn how to use their phones and other things in this culture appropriately. So rather than taking it away, let's prepare them for battle. Psalm 119 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I can remember gathering a young group of guys and we studied God's word together. This was a couple of years ago at another church. We were in the basement 
of the pastor's house, I believe. And it was a couple of young guys in high school. We were studying God's word together. And we had this habit of kind of tossing our cell phones into the center of the circle so that we wouldn't be distracted by them while we were taking a look at the Bible. And this was back when we had the flip phones. And I remember um, this one student, uh, he threw his phone in and it was kind of broken. It was barely being held together by that hinge and this, the screen was all shattered. And all the guys started giving him a hard time. and said, you know, what, what happened to your phone? And he began to share this story. And he said the night before, he was sitting in his room and he had received a, a text message from a, another young man that went to his high school. And back then, you'd flip it open and you'd have to click read message to see it. And so as he clicked it, there was a, a video of a young girl doing something inappropriate from his school. And he said, immediately, guys, I was right in the battle. And in a split second, I took that phone and I tossed it across the room and it hit my bedroom wall and broke into, into pieces. Well, these young guys were so proud of him for fighting that battle and winning that battle that night that they all chipped in money and bought him like the best phone of the group, right? <laughs> by studying God's word, by obeying God's word, that's the kind of battles we need to prepare our young people for. And that's why our youth ministry exists. We want to partner with parents to prepare our kids for these battles. You may have noticed that just some of these battles I mentioned tonight are nothing new. In fact, many of you may have fought them yourselves when you were teenagers too. The battles haven't changed, but what has changed is the battlefield, the culture that we live in, and it's given the advantage to the world. But there's hope. There's young men and women like you've seen on the platform today, and then I get to see every Sunday night and Robbie gets to see every Wednesday night. In fact, we asked one of them, Rachel Koontz, to, to read the word for you this morning. Because long before any of us adults get up in the morning at like 6 in the morning, she sends us a text message. Whatever she's studying that day, whatever she's reading that day, she types it out and texts it to the whole youth ministry. She types out God's word and sends it to us. There's hope. This is the words that she read from Matthew 9. When Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. What can you do to help teenagers survive this culture? Well, to be frank, you can volunteer with us. You know, we had these I serve cards that we put in your worship folders this morning, and there's all kinds of ways that you can help us invest in the lives of teenagers, right? Maybe you can be upfront, hands-on, mentoring a teen. Or maybe you say, I would rather not do that if I can help it. And so there's some other places that you can volunteer that are more behind the scenes. If you're a parent, you can partner with us. You know, we really believe that our ministry exists to help you win with your kids. That's why we exist. But you got to get them to youth group. I'll be honest with you. I fought my parents every step of the way, all throughout middle school and some of my freshman year. But sooner or later, I realized that I finally had a place to belong. I finally had a place to call family, and I never missed youth group again. Or maybe that's not you here this morning. Can I ask you, would you be a cheerleader for us? Would you be a cheerleader for our youth ministry? Can you pray for us? Can you tell others about us? If you know a family that has a, a middle school teenager or a family that has a high school teenager, can you say, you know, I go to a pretty great church and we've got a pretty good youth ministry. 
I'd love to invite you and introduce you to Pastor Robbie or Pastor Doug. And let me tell you, we would just love to meet them. We have some people out in a booth today with stickers that say, Ask Me About Youth Ministry. So whether you're a parent or whether you're a teen that's looking to get connected uh, or whether you're someone who's looking to serve somewhere, I just want to encourage you, go have a conversation with one of them. Uh, They're masters at their trade and they would love to talk to you. I just want to close this morning by just saying how grateful I am to be a part of a church that supports youth ministry in the way that all of you do. How grateful I am to be a member of this family and get to do what I do every day. Thank you. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for my team that's in the front lines with these teenagers every day, taking those phone calls at 1130 at night and showing up when it matters most? Will you pray with me now? Father God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for this place, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all the young men and women and how you've uniquely shaped them for ministry to lead us here this morning. I thank you for all the young men and women we didn't get to meet this morning that lead us in other ways, downstairs on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or out in the community in local missions or in mission trips. God, I just pray uh, for these young people, Lord. God, I pray that you would continue to give them a heart that chases after you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to provide them with places where they can grow in maturity as they walk with you. And God, I pray that you would continue to provide them with some older folks that have been around the block once or twice and might have a little bit of time or some stories to share as they invest in the lives of young people. It's your precious son's name we all pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.